what's Hollywood Squares? It's a it's an old game <laughs> show that had like famous people in a tic tac toe grid, and they would get they would get questions asked. And if they got it right, they got a, an O. And if they got it wrong, they got an X or something like that. Oh, what's Hollywood Squares? I feel so old. <laughs> oh, God, Roman. <laughs> I love when you do your, like, uh, or sort of uh, or yeah. Liza Minnelli voice or whatever. Well, it was supposed to be Paul Lind, who was one of the guys that was always on Hollywood Squares. Oh, He was basically Liza Minnelli with a cigar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is why I said Liza Minnelli and did the, like, cigar gesture that no one else Yeah, he, he was Liza Minnelli from the Bronx. So, Django, you're up to Batman and Robin 7. You're here with us? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been keeping up. I've been reading along with you in my book, and I knew it was time to turn the page when I heard the batarang go. <laughs> this. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, hey everybody, welcome in to Batman in Quarantine, episode number 33, Batman and Robin, issue number 7. We got the whole ding-dang gang together here. The ding-dang gang. Ding-dang gang. And it's very, very exciting. So before we get into this, everyone, I am Jeff. (laughs) I'm Django. I'm ding-dang Justin. (laughs) I'm dong-ding-roman. Oh, Oh, no. He likes the the ding-a-dong, dong-a-ding. You guys, I know it's the four of us from the Papcast, but this is a different podcast. <laughs> you don't have to dong or ding anywhere if you don't want to. Very, Can I ding your dang? <laughs> Can I re- reintroduce myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very serious, Justin. Oh. Justin from a very serious earth. Mm-hmm. Mm. Django, give me your question one more time because I'm excited to talk about it. Oh, Jeff, I heard a rumor. Oh? That you're more fluid than Jeff Beck. Just kidding. I heard a rumor that you fluid. count this as your very favorite cover of this whole series. I think... And I'd like to unpack that. I think it could be unpacked further by saying it might be my favorite cover of all time. Really? It's one of the best I, covers. I fucking it's, love it. So it's Batman and Robin number seven. It's written by Grant Morrison. The cover is by Frank Quietly. The interior is by Cameron Stewart. We'll touch on that in a second. Yeah, it's like it is the final it's a nicer Frank Quietly version of the final panel from the previous issue. Mm-hmm. And it's the dead body of Batman that was exhumed from underground Bloodhaven by Superman and has been hanging out in this like little sarcophagus thing for a while. I think that like, you know, at this point when these issues were coming out, I was like getting online and trying to find out covers as early as possible to get an idea about like what's happening in this story <laughs> This story came out at the same time as DC's Blackest Night was coming out, like these issues. So they actually kind of functioned as a tie-in to Blackest Night, which is why they're spelled Blackest Night, uh, the story arc is. And it's just so evocative and mysterious. And I thought we were maybe going to get these really big answers in it. And like maybe Bruce is coming back. And so all of that is sort of wrapped Mm -hmm. up into this like really kind of gothic, weird look of this, this Batman cover. Justin... Your thoughts on this? I have to imagine that you're kind of like me. Yeah, this could be as well. And not to try to steal your thunder, but one of my favorite covers of all time. It's our thunder, Justin. We write oh, these yeah. things on the, on the back For, of Thor together. <laughs> I'm writing thunder right now. A big, hard bat thunder. Um, you know, I think like they reference Batman as like a bat god throughout this run. And this is like an, a sarcophagus, which Egyptian pharaohs were once put in and they were considered you know like gods of the earth like they were the 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 footholds of god in in our world they were god kings and so batman is kind of this you know he's like a father and he's got all these kids that are batmen and especially where this run goes he kind of has a bat dynasty so i think this whole thing is like kind of distills batman as larger than one physical body um which is a thing explored in this run in a single image very very well um, and it makes me sad in a way because, you know, we all like to project dad onto big, strong men. And so it's like our bat, our bat dad is bat dead. That's a really good way of talking about it. I also just want to add it's very bookie. 
Spooky. That's a spooky image. <laughs> yeah, it is spooky. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I It's just so great. And it, immediately, every time I see it, it takes me right back to the time these issues were coming out. And I, I just think it's phenomenal. Yeah, I also want to say that this came out kind of as a Black at Night, Blackest Night tie-in and stuff. And there was this tons of stuff on the internet and just kind of in the comic book intelligentsia that maybe Blackest Night would bring Bruce back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can imagine Jeff is, you know, new on to like, whoa, I'm back into comics and they're really head fucky and weird now. Like I was really convinced that this run was hyper significant and Bruce was going to come yeah, back me too. and, you know, somehow this was going to overflow with the Blackest Night stuff that was kind of spreading throughout the universe. DC universe at the time. And so I was like very, very confused and very out of touch with what this book, this, these issues were, but very excited because my imagination was just telling me that Bruce Wayne was going to show up in the middle of like, you know, six issues. (laughs) You know, reading this and this image, like it's there to fuck with you. It's there to be like, is he? Is he not? Exactly. Very impossible. Roman, does the paperback you're reading have a copy of the cover or can you picture the cover? Do you, you know what we're talking about? Cover with, yeah. Dead yeah. Batman? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, it's Frank Wiley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I mean it's, it, yeah, it's not one of my favorites or anything, but it's awesome to see quietly the first thing when you open the book. Yeah. I just thought since you were so into dead bodies, Roman, that this would kind of hit home for you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about the dead bodies thing. On air, Justin. I think... So as I was reading this issue, you know, aside from thinking Roman probably... On top of it being like, you know, Roman loves a dead body. Um, it also is in a poetic way, in a in a, in a poetic non <laughs> yes, non sexual yes. way at all. It art, it's, it's all about the art. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like the way the skin rots off the flesh bone. Um, maggots, oh maggots, oh maggots. <laughs> it's like a Disney Disney musical for him and dead bodies. No, but it's uh, written by a Scottish gentleman taking place in britain and you yeah you are both those things you're a scottish gentleman and a british man and but you also you know went to europe around the time that i met you and you like the history of that place i feel like so i mean as i was reading this it just felt like an issue that maybe was going to be make roman do some smiling it was making me do some smiling i'm on ref like record is not always loving when things are written in vernacular and i was very on board for the british accents that were written in this one yeah this this especially after that last issue and you know philip tan i like him a lot more now but after that last last issue and kind of some of the disappointments there this was just so much fun to jump right into this and uh, a british batman adventure starts off kind of bondian and and it's just a blast yeah and let's just let's put the let's get the elephant out of the room here so this is written by grant morrison art by cameron stewart who in the last several weeks we've learned is an inarguable total creep yeah and it is very easy for me to kind of write off most of his body of work because none of it i've ever particularly cared about he's never somebody i've sought out the hard part is that he did do these three issues of batman i think the art in these issues are a big step up from the arc previous to it with philip tan when we talk about the art in this and and it being fun um i think we're all putting a lot of effort into separating the art from the person and i don't think any single one of us has anything to say to defend cameron stewart who like we said total fucking creep you can go google it if you want we're gonna try and steer clear that and just talk about this book here but know that uh we don't we don't hold that dude in any reverence at all oh no not at all but he's good with a pen He's good with I mean, a pen and a pencil. He's I mean, all was, right with a pen. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, was, I was looking for the credits on this issue, which my copy doesn't have any, and I kind of vaguely knew it was him. But, you know, other than the fact he drew it, it has nothing to do with him. Yeah, and in general, I actually don't care for his art outside of this. And I think that one of the things that I like about the art in this particular three issues is just what came before it. But I actually think the following <laughs> arc has even art. I, I like really like more. that art. Yeah. but Who, draw, who is, draws the following one? Andy Clark, I think. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, really I, like his art. I read this and the previous three issues in one sitting. And uh, I was real glad to be out of that that Philip Tan mud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mud is a good way to describe it. The first, the first page of this 
is Dick Bats carrying dead body bats in a page that perfectly homages. Very poetic. It's very poetic, Roman pointed out earlier. It is. It is. You <laughs> but it's the hear- same image of Superman holding his dead body from Final Crisis, if everyone remembers that page. Which is a uh, take on Final Crisis and Superman holding Superwoman's body. Or yeah, body. Crisis on Infinite Earth. Yeah, yeah. 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 Infinite uh, regress yeah. of crises and death there. But ultimately, we then pick up right into a sort of chase action sequence of Dick and Squire chasing some folks around Britain, Europe, London. I'm bad with geography. And <laughs> London. Yeah, London. And they find this <laughs> crazy subway thing headed somewhere. They've got a, a, you know, we'll skate over and come back to it, but there's a criminal in there worth talking about. Uh, gives them some information. Ultimately, they go to the equivalent of Arkham Asylum in London, hang out with all the paranormal baddies, get some information that uh, ultimately tells us that maybe there's some sort of Arthurian rejuvenation thing in London. Sounds kind of like a Lazarus pit. We go down there, we find out it is a Lazarus pit, and we also get some bits. Indeed, Indeed. And we show also Damien is over with his mom, Talia, and Alfred, wherever they are, and he's getting spinal reconstructive surgery. This issue ends with... What a hoot. With (laughs) Batwoman showing up, and Knight and Squire and Batman all in this Lazarus pit. Knight has put Bruce's dead body into the Lazarus pit, and the final image of this issue is Bruce's hand reaching up out of the pit that's what happens how do you feel (laughs) well i just gotta say and to to echo your point which is ultimately echoing roman is when i opened this issue and saw poetry of the dead body oh oh, yeah (laughs) so poetic um i could just hear roman going (laughs) through this whole issue it's like james bond it's james bond through history um that's also Batman. It is like a, you know, it gets me excited for Roman as Roman gets excited for the poetry of a dead body. I love that first panel when uh, Batman's like rescuing a little girl jumping off the London Eye when, when one of the one of the pods on the eye is exploding and yeah. he's just got a total stone face about it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like the the next page of the chase scene where he's like jumping off on cars onto trucks, <laughs> like that. That whole page has really nice um, yeah. flow to it. Yeah, you know, really cons- agile, flippy dick. Yeah, yeah. especially in that considering this the previous arc we talked about in uh, you know last Friday's episode that we just lost physical touch of where we were in this battle sequence. <laughs> like maybe there's a floor, maybe we're in a construction area, maybe we're in an alley, doesn't matter. Right here, there's a really cohesive idea of, you know, progressing through a physical space. And I think even the yeah. paneling is really interesting, uh, especially on the following page, page four, when, you know, Dick is jumping across these cars to like meet up with Scott Squire to jump onto her motorcycle. Like just, really great action flow sequence yeah i just got to bring attention this is just like a childish thing that i super loved but i really fucking like and i wonder if this is grant morrison's mind or to give cameron stewart some kind of um, artistic credit like the design of the horse motorcycle oh yeah Mm -hmm. like it's a horse for a night but it's the chess piece it looks like the chess piece that the horse is is that the rook Oh, smart. Like the night. The night. Oh, the yeah. night. Yeah. And it's called Blackest <laughs> Night, and her yeah. partner is Night, and all. I didn't. And it kind of looks bat like, awesome. too. Like, it's it still got like a whole dark night looking thing. Just very well done. Little, just an awesome little touch. I really like Night and Squire as the characters. Um, Wee! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, you're so right, Jeff. The way that, uh, I mean, if I took the time, which I didn't, but you, you can figure out. Um, where night or night, geez, where Batman and Squire are, and how they're approaching from different directions to, uh, to end up at the I think it's the St. James, yeah, the St. James uh, underground station entrance, mm-hmm. and it all makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, I I'm actually excited. Well, I'm I'm always excited to be around Django because he's you know the giant throbbing heart of all of this. But um, a thing that we've mentioned a couple times in the Batman and Robin portions of the podcast of which there's only been six so far, but particularly in the Frank Quietly issues, 
there's like a unique style of coloring going on and page number five of this one the one that says excuse me and it says contact in three two that top that. right panel like the way that the sky is done it's like a really unique type of coloring that is present particularly in those first mm-hmm. three issues and then these three issues and it's almost like this kind of like digital but old film looking type of thing also like you know, it's present in the very first panel of this or first page of this issue. It's very present in like the first three issues. And I'm just curious, do you know anything about what that type of coloring would be called or does it stand out to you? Yeah, Yeah. it's it's everywhere in the sky on this. And Mm -hmm. to me, it looks like um, a Photoshop process called posterizing, where you take a full tone image and you say, cut this down to five colors. And so anything that's near blue goes full blue. Anything that's near white goes full white. That totally what it looks like to me. Immediately makes sense in the way that you describe it. Don't allow there to be a color gradient just divided into six quadrants of color and anything close gets chunked into these things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 what they it's actually what they used to use on um, some like old silkscreen posters and things like that. They would do it manually where somebody would have to cut out each one of those shapes. It's a really interesting, interesting look. And I wonder why they had sort of decided to have that as a through line for the coloring in, in this whole Batman and Robin thing thus far. It was pretty unobtrusive. Like it doesn't call attention to itself until you notice it. Like I just did when you pointed it out. Um, <laughs> Flip through the first three issues again, because it's, it's very it's present. Yeah. That's interesting. And it's, is it all uh, Alex Sinclair doing the colors on the series? Um, I think that Alex Sinclair did do all of it. Uh, okay. Yes, story colors and cover colors were done by Alex Sinclair through all. Yeah, so you kind of got to wonder: was that a conscious decision, or is that just something he does? Yeah, yeah, you interesting. Know. I have a question. Yeah. Do we? Is there any like Django? You you were collecting at the time. Jeff and I were little guppies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roman, you were you were probably working at the shop reading these issues. What was like the general consensus? Were because I, I and I can imagine Jeff was was fucking on fire in love with these issues just because it was so new it felt like you know my batman run like what i could participate in like i didn't need to know a thousand years of history to understand um did people seem to dig these you know because like right now there's some really good highlights it's pretty good i think it gets really crazy and finds its true talent or strengths later Mm -hmm. but were people into this at all were people excited about this run this far in I really don't remember. I was pretty disconnected from the comic book community at this point. I was probably really close to not buying my comics for a year and uh, and doing that thing you should never do to your comic store, which is leaving them in the file for a year. I'm a bad boy. But Django I do remember... All the Batman were born stuff in here. <laughs> yeah. I do remember reading these when they were coming out, but I was starting to check out, and I didn't really connect this series with the previous Batman series with final crisis. Like I, I just, this was just a Batman book to me. Um, I was reading it for the three issue arcs or whatever. And as such was probably very confused, but still fine. Yeah. Roman, what do you remember about that time? Um, I remember bitching about that Django guy with this huge file. <laughs> he, he got his own karmic punishment for the whole thing because now he was tricked into owning a comic shop. Oh, so it's all of the comics. <laughs> and they're all sitting in your file for a year. And your file is just a giant store. Oh, you want, you want some issues? You got some issues. Um, I'm not sure because I really loved it and I don't know how much I'm projecting my love onto coloring my memories of that time. I know there was people that like always with Morrison, there were people that were like, "Ah, I'm dropping Batman. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's too Mm -hmm. confusing. And there were some people that were like, Oh yeah, I'm loving Batman. It's awesome. And then, you know, some people like, well, I'm still getting Batman because you know, I've been getting it since I was eight. I have it all. (laughs) Yeah. If if I had to project again, like just like Justin said, Justin and I are dealing with the baggage of like kind of coming into really identifying and feeling like this arc is my own or something. But I remember like Blackest Night is an amazing event, I think. Uh, And and I feel like it was very widely loved. It was as it was happening. It was like 
yeah, black yeah, is Beanie Babies yeah. or some shit. In, yeah, in the comic book community, like people were losing their shit in the stores that I shopped at. And so this is like you know a tie-in to that, and then we also had the Jeff Johns Green Lantern run happening at the same time, and I, I really do, I feel like this was the last quote-unquote golden age of DC. You know, then right right after this, not long, you know, then the New Fifty Two happened. <clears throat> And that was five years. And then Rebirth happened. I think the start of Rebirth had some really, really good stuff. But I think that, like, as this was happening at DC Comics, I have to think that they were just kind of on top of the world with mm-hmm. with sales, pro- projecting it just sort of, like, between between Final Crisis, between this Batman run, between Blackest Night and the Green Lantern run. Like, those are pretty huge, highly talked about books, at least. For sure. I I, like feel like this is kind of comic book history in the making that somehow because of the new 52 and kind of the way the timeline of dc went that this is kind of it's not talked about like animal man or swamp thing or big kind of legendary dc's runs in the way that my own personal bias feels like it should like i feel like this is a very high caliber book that i feel like isn't quite lauded as as well as it could be just based on you know, right after these books happened, DC kind of made that big shift and they've right. never been the same since, you know? And uh, it is, it's interesting um, because I think we all are like, this issue was so much fun. I wonder how broad that opinion would be. Cause like we have these clearly like Cockney speaking accents here that I think we're kind of a unique subculture where we're like, oh yeah, I bet Roman's loving this. And I like reading this just cause I can feel Roman's bone on my hip. You know, like it's, <laughs> It's, uh, it's, I can see like your average Batman subscriber might be like, why am I in London with this guy who's covered in reflective buttons at the bottom of a Arkham Asylum equivalent <laughs> in London? And he's speaking, well, I have my boy Eddie got himself in a bit of a balva. <laughs> like I, yeah. I read all of that dude's dialogue out loud. Cause it's like so, so much fun. But in this issue, Dick, you know, goes back to this high, you know, high security prison I loved that sequence. Like I love just, you know, as the queen's jailer, I'm responsible for making sure that in, you know, the infamous reprobates stay under lock and key, the radio ghost, die laughing, big Don Drummond, the Morris men, the highway men, even mechanical <laughs> space monsters like the metallic, which apparently Morrison then put into his action comic run in new 52, the metallic. Oh, really? Thing. Yeah. The metallic Xenoformer. Oh. Huh? Okay. Yeah. those other characters, he says in the back were uh, villains he was coming up with for Knight and Squire for an like an, an a, a total fictional well they're all fictional um, Knight and Squire miniseries that he wanted to do. And somebody did a Knight and Squire miniseries, but it wasn't him. I think it was no. Paul Cornell. I yeah, I think you're right. Oh, I got another it. another Brit. <clears throat> oh, oh, and I, <laughs> I just yeah, I don't know what I wonder what other people's thoughts were on this outside of sort of our group because I I can feel our collective enthusiasm for just that just a sidestep of kind of ridiculous like it's it's you know we were talking about it on our recently perfectly acceptable podcast and talk kind of comparing scott snyder's death knight's metal or dark knight's death metal with morrison's kind of like scott snyder kind of like indulges in the silver age lunacy but almost kind of makes fun of it a little bit whereas this i don't know there doesn't even feel to be any making fun of it it's just sort of like isn't it kind of fun to try and repackage old things in modern like <laughs> yeah. it's i i just really like the tone that it's it strikes here yeah grant, it, grant morrison has more deference to older older stories and and the silliness that you can play with in there yeah and not and not only mm-hmm. silliness of the silver age but so but you know i thought of you jango with this because when the the jailer is the beef eater who was a oh, yeah. character that they used to make fun of in uh justice league international wasn't it yep yeah, that was a Keith Giffen creation. And I guess it's probably the same guy. I don't think that he would mess up and, and have it uh, have it be a different beef eater when, when DC already has one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's the same guy. There's, there's some text by Morris in the back that says that definitely specifies it's the beef eater from JLI. That is awesome. I think Justin could probably clarify this for us, but I think it's pronounced Befeater. Befeater? Befeater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm curious to see how people felt about this because you know if morrison quietly on the first three issues didn't feel somehow didn't feel super morrisony like there is no way that this is not grant morrison he right. loves his <laughs> vernacular he he loves like england and that whole mythos scotland that kind of shit there's some like 
Arthurian stuff and esoteric stuff. Like there's no way to not read this book as a Grant Morrison book. Like he just hits you over the head with the Morrison hammer. Um, and I bet you some people are like, Oh wait, I'm weird. I'm, this is a weird Batman book I'm reading now. Yeah. For sure. Um, so when he's in this asylum and he's talking to Pearlie, Pearlie gives him instructions for getting through the caves that they show up in later. Why does he do that? So we learn that this pearly guy, he goes to visit him because he's connected with the other pearly guy that they find in the train that's going. And what we learn is that this pearly crew won this mine in, I can't remember if it was like a gambling bet or something, uh-huh. And it's a it's a significant <clears throat> mine because it maybe is you know connected to Arthurian land or something, and the Pearlies were supposed to have it, but then the person who had it before them decides like no, it's too valuable. I'm not giving it away. Okay, and that's why that Pearly was tied up in the train that had explosives on it that was going to blow up. Right. So I think that he. So I think that this Pearly is giving giving up the ghost, so to speak, because. It should be theirs, but the person who owned it originally has taken it back from them. So he's kind of like, well, if we can't have it, fuck you. You can't have it either. So he... So, and, and also to thank Batman for saving his guys. Yeah, probably like his brother or yeah. whoever it is. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, I, and I love the way he does this because he says he's not going to tell Batman, but then the, the camera view is focusing on the dominoes that, that Pearl's, King Pearl, Pearly's laying down. And, and he's laying out the map in the mines about which way to go, which you don't, which I didn't realize until Batman says it later when they're in the mines. <laughs> yeah, I saw him doing that, and I was pretty glad that uh, the art wasn't made out of mud for that scene. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I had that that same thought, and I was then like, oh shit, this is why I couldn't like, I don't know dominoes well enough, and there's dominoes in the, the throughout this whole thing, and I don't I don't know how to play dominoes, but I'm glad that this one is just an overt visual like here's an overhead shot of these tunnels in a mine. Yeah, I, I was trying to do that. I was, I was like counting the dots and going, oh, what is, does the sequence matter? I mean, what does that mean? What's the clue? And the clue is just like, fall, you know, the layout of the dominoes. Right. And the fact that he's singing this little song about follow the van and, oh, yeah, okay, follow. Okay. Take the, take the left tunnel. But this particular, as he's talking to Dick Bats and he says, as a matter of fact, I claim descent from King Arthur himself, whose legendary cauldron of rebirth was said to be buried somewhere in this great nation of ours. And like, that is just such a, good like all right we're combining lazarus pits and arthurian legend and like hidden clandestine locations and it's just it, i was like this is a lot of stuff that i love yeah, yeah. we gotta and, get fucking tom hanks here yeah <laughs> yeah the way he was this is a down brown <laughs> a down brown mystery if i've ever a dan, had one. a down brown <laughs> dan brown wet dream <laughs> and getting and getting the history in there. I mean, the guy who but. was competing with the Pearly King was, is named King Cole, and that was all based in Coles from New Newcastle, the mining industry in London or outside of, of London. Then, like of as as you know, as, as you. Do. I only re- the only reason I know about that is from Hellblazer in the first couple of years of Hellblazer. <laughs> okay, um, I really like on the on the next page where we see. Um, Damien being fixed mm-hmm. by his mother's technology Ugh. and the, the page after that, where they're actually either putting his spine in or taking his spine out to repair it. Um, yeah. That's super cool and grisly, but also it's Damien in a Lazarus pit basically. Right. Right. So like Damien is being resurrected at the same time that as we find out by the end of the issue, Batman is also being resurrected. Nice. I really oh. cool. Oh, just this is a, a a nothing thing, but the very first shot of Dick or sorry, Damien in his suspended Lazarus pit surgery and his skin is like being pulled up and you can see how his skin's like loose loose around his body and where it's pulled tight legitimately made me feel kind of nauseous. I was yeah. like, "Oh, ugh. I hope that never happens to me. I hope I don't Jeff like never about... takes out my spine. <laughs> I don't like thinking about skin like that. <laughs> Not my Batman. I mean, th- this is just a two-page sequence. I adore it for a-, a number of reasons. I really like the way that Alfred sort of tiptoes around understanding 
you know, the relationship between Bruce and Talia and Damien is not his place to be a part of in the classic Butler way. But he does try to say, like, he's a remarkable man, Miss Talia. Like, he, a young man in talking about Damien. Like, he speaks with deference about Damien. And you can even see he's kind of trying to say, like, he's a really good kid. Maybe you shouldn't be so hard on him in the way that, like, a school psychologist talks to an abusive alcoholic father who's going in to pick up his kid who was acting up at recess or something. Yeah. So I really like the role that Alfred is sort of playing there, which is, like, kind of a, a protective role for this child that has been largely uh, rude to him. <clears throat> but then I love Talia's response, which is he's more than remarkable. Damien will stride across the 21st century like a new Alexander. And that single sentence, Damien will stride across the 21st century like a new Alexander is just, Mwah! that is, that is <laughs> everything that like we need to sort of know about how Damien was, was his upbringing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like how Alfred's like, you know, he doesn't have to be that to be valuable. You know, like he's like, he's a good kid. He he doesn't need to be this endless world changing soldier that's going to take over the world. And even says something like, if he chooses that, oh, uh, indeed, if that's what he wishes. Yeah. You know, like he, Alfred is like being an empathetic parent like figure. He knows what it's like to raise a kid. And, you know, like, he's like, he doesn't have to be that. And I'm sure Alfred is tired of losing children to being some type of foot soldier for an agenda. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I, you know, his respect for it. I love that Talia's incredibly hard exterior is softened for a moment. She, you know, as Alfred's thinking about leaving, he, she says, Mr. Pennyworth, do you believe Bruce Wayne is really dead? And I just love this woman who has all of the answers and all of the confidence and isn't really willing to listen to anyone has this moment where she's like, she still wants reassurance from somebody that Bruce is dead. And I think that Morrison does a really phenomenal job of never making her like a spurned lover or a damsel in distress or anything. She's so strong, but there are moments in here where he clearly illustrates non-verbally or just through action or even in this regard that like she does have this really soft spot for the detective. Yeah, no, she like, she loves him. And, and I and, love and, that. And in in the way that she only could, you know. But I, I really like that, like, a woman who knows how to replace a child's spine, like, to give something a new spine, has that kind of technology, still needs, like, well, do you really believe that he's actually dead? You know, like, yeah, she does have answers for everything, and yet she's very human and affected by losing someone she loves. If I had at some point in my life had sex with someone holding a sword in the desert and wearing only a cowl, Nothing uh, I would imprint people. on them as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Django, this is, you know, like, you know what it's like to have six boy children. Oh yeah. Know? I've got dozens. Uh, but well, <laughs> you know, you've got three biologicals and three adoptives that you're in the Zoom call with. <laughs> hey, I, so I really like in this just, you know, here's another great Morrison. Hey, Grant, listen, Dan Didio on the phone here. Uh, we're doing a big old Blackest Night thing with zombies and all of this stuff. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. Can you tie in something in your story to make it go with this Blackest Night thing? And Morrison's like, okay, like this three-issue arc, you know, it's, it's not out of place, but it does feel like, and he talks at different times, like this was a thing, this is a three-issue story he did to tie in with his main DC thing. But he's just so good at thinking. It's like, well, it's blackest night. So it's midwinter, the longest night. Okay, so now right. we're at the solstice. And then we're in London. And we're tracking the ley lines. And it's just like a really cool, like, oh, yeah, we're using the term blackest night. But we're not thinking of it in that cool way. Like, you cast a different light on something. And just that idea of, like, the solstice and this being a prophesized night and all of that stuff is, is a very cool moment. And I think... Yeah, it, it also speaks to like the long night of the soul, you know, the like the longest night of the year, the time when you face your morality. And this is Dick literally facing that he can't be Batman and he's trying to bring back this thing that's gone. Like, whoa, buddy, that was good. Oh, that was good. I thought I spoiled something there. For, <laughs> no, 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 I thought no, I was no. Killing in here. no, 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 no. That's just really good because I think that the heart like, <clears throat> you know, the first arc and, or two are Dick learning it has to be a performance and learning he has to believe in himself because he has these things. And then this third arc is him saying, all right, well, all of that, but still, I would very much like for Batman to be back. You know, and it is, <laughs> it is facing this, like, I could be Batman, 
but I'm not. I am Dick Grayson, and I want Batman to come back. And so the, to tie that in with the idea of the long night of the soul and this sort of looking at yourself in the mirror and, and facing your shortcoming and kind of you could view this as giving in to a shortcoming or giving in to an insecurity, especially after Jason at the end of the last episode. It's like, you know you have his body. You know you could bring him back, find a Lazarus pit like they did for me. And it's sort of like, yeah, well, why haven't I done that yet? And that is yeah. what this is all about. Why hasn't he done that yet? Lazarus pits make you silly, is it, Django. Is it because Dan Didio hadn't asked him to? Like, hey, like, yo, what about the Lazarus pit? <laughs> <laughs> it, it just seems like this, it, this would be something that it wouldn't require Jason poking him about to figure out. I think that it's an ethical we yeah. all we know that Lazarus pits do make you a little wonkily woo Jason went fucking nuts. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, do what happens if I bring dad back um, and dad comes back as angry dad who wants to give us all spankings, you know? So then why is he doing it? Because he's weakness. This he's is that anxious to, to hang out with crazy Bruce again. I think he's just totally failed and realizes like I got his kid almost killed. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can't do this job. Uh, the reason why I referenced the Dark Knight of the Soul is like that's when you have to kind of ultimately come to terms with with your mis- past mistakes and your morality. Like you have to come to terms with your own weakness, and that's how you kind of get freed by that metaphorical moment. So I think this is his biggest character flaw. This is kind of the thing that reshaped things. Is like he's not accepting responsibility. He's trying to defer it in in a way that's like, oh, I also got his kid potentially killed like right i can't i cannot do this i cannot be bruce so i'll have to bring bruce back which is ultimately his biggest you know this is like his character flaws like dude you you kind of have to own your mistakes and move on rather than go back to dad and and i wonder if there's like some connection we can make with like the stages of grieving or loss or something with where he's gone through in these specific arcs with like you know combating feeling a sense of inadequacy fear anger acceptance but this is definitely him rejecting it at this point yeah i could see him for the first two arcs being like well i did tell bruce i would you know like fill in for him and i i think in his head bruce would say don't bring me back from a lazarus pit like i don't think bruce would ever say do that you know and i think that's probably why he hasn't done it but it is. He would say, don't you have the, the hard drive backup of my entire consciousness? Just put that into something. Snyder continuity, bah. Um, <laughs> as we're flying in Lazarus... Yeah, as we're flying in the Lazarus pit, it is worth mentioning, Bat is flying in his little Bat copter, which was in R.I.P. and does come up again later. And it's like I the love. only time... Yeah, I only ever remember seeing it in a modern <laughs> way in Morrison's stories. And I just think it's... I love seeing it every time because he's always like kind of hunched over sitting in this uncomfortable <laughs> chair with like a, like a thing over... Like it's just... Yeah, One I love the Morrison. Things. I love that Morrison brought back the the bat gyrocopter because it looks so, Goofy. yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to step on you guys, but are we sure that that's bat copters and not Knight and Squire copters? Because it has more of a chess piece look than a bat look to me. Yeah, that's what I thought it was too. But oh, it, is it? You know, it's effectively the same thing. Yeah, yeah I mean, the same same kind of device, but. Yeah, it it might be. I if if it weren't for having seen the same device looking almost exactly the same like 10 or so issues earlier okay. and then seeing it later, I would maybe assume that. But maybe also like they're students of the bat as well, so maybe they created gyrocopters. Um but he does refer to it as a gyrocopter like right before RIP or during RIP or something. Yeah. Okay. Joe Chill in hell, he's flying yeah. around in it. But uh, that is the issue, yeah. You know, that is just the most state-of-the-art way to, for one person to fly. Absolutely. Obviously, everyone's got to have If You're not a real crime fighter until you get yourself your gyro. Fucking top. wingman in his jetpack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the other, like, I think really high point in this issue, and actually I think this whole issue is fantastic. It is fun. It's mysterious. It's, it's building the mystery. I love it. Dominoes. But the, when Batwoman shows up, and that's the part, like, I do think that there are some shortcomings in this arc of, like, okay, we're in Europe. Like, it, it's tying into a bigger thing. And just, like, we get into the bottom of this Lazarus pit. And then the religion of crime, who was in, like, 52, the event, is there. And they have put Batwoman in this box as a sacrifice to bring, you know, the the night, the right hand of the devil up during this night. And they bust Batwoman out. And so it's like, okay, like, Batwoman is here. That part I can just swallow. You know, like, that's great. I love having her here. It doesn't necessarily make the absolute most sense but as dick is explaining like who he is i just love 
him saying like, I'm the new Batman, you know, me and Batman had an arrangement. If he were ever in trouble, I would get him out. If there was a death trap he couldn't handle on his own, I would get him free. He knew he could count on me. That's how he worked. He was my brother, my best friend, and I had a job to do and I never let him down. I think it's easy to talk about all of the Robins as being like his children in a way, but I actually love to think about Dick and Bruce as like equals to an extent. And I like him saying he's my brother and my best friend and not like my father. And I think that that like, I just love the guilt that he would have about being like, I am the one who's supposed to save him all the time and I couldn't save him. And should I bring him back from the dead or should I not? Like, what is all that? And just, you know, I, I think the best friend relationship of Dick and Bruce is, is something I really treasure as being separate from the sort of father-son relationship he has, I think, with Jason, Todd, and Damien. Jason, yeah. Damien, and Dick, rather. Jason, Damien. Todd, Dick. And Tim. <laughs> Fuck. There's a lot of Jason Robin Todd's names. Dick? Jason, Todd's Dick. <laughs> it's an angry I li- Dick. I, I like that. <laughs> that Red Hood. Really, oh, God. That did really stick out. Um, him saying brother instead. That, that was a nice moment. Nice page. I, uh, like, the Batwoman thing... I think like here the marketing is a little more apparent. Like it whiffs of tie-in more as well because like Batwoman was a new character, a very new character at this time. You know, she she started showing up only a few months before. I think in fifty-two, yeah, yeah. And so you know, incorporating her into this new dynamic. But I do, and this could be a mismemory. I do think that a female sacrifice to a bat god is really present with what unfolds in the return of Bruce Wayne. And so Mm. I think that this might be tying into that. I think, you know, and this could be me injecting intentionality when it isn't there, but I do believe that there is that whole sacrifice thing to the bat demon that ends up being, and, you know, the devil's been seated throughout this as Django, our local Satanist can affirm. And I, I, to that point, I just want to remind everybody, this is just four buddies talking about a Batman run that they read like 10 years ago and we love it. And it's like things we've read since then tie into it and things we read before it seemed like maybe we're going to misremember some stuff. Right. That's oh, very yeah. good. No criticism on our part about that. We're just doing our best. Don't consider us experts. We're not. We're just, uh, you know, big fans of the game and uh, it's all in the game. I'm also rewatching The Wire right now. <laughs> the only one who has a crystallized, perfect, objective, complete and total understanding of this is Cody Walker. Well, exactly. You know, <laughs> the anatomy of Zero and R, the fifth yeah. member of the podcast. Jango, have you seen this? You seen this, Jim? I've seen it. Uh, I've got a dog-eared copy I read on the toilet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so you and Cody are friends as well. Oh, yeah, they're buddies. all freaking buddies. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, what happens is we get to the Zurinar, the sorry, not the Zurinar, we get to the Lazarus pit, and Knight is Lazarus. there, and he has dipped Bruce Wayne's body from the sarcophagus into the Lazarus pit, and his hand raises at the end, and we don't know what we're going to get out of there. I'm here to tickle you. I'm here to tickle you. <laughs> Daddy's um, home. All right, I got, I, got family. A, I got a Lazarus pit question. Yeah. So... With a worm, if you cut it in half, the back half will grow a front and the front half will grow back. Oh, God. Could you cut a person in half and throw them in the Lazarus pit? Because if it's healing you hmm. and, and putting your cells back together, like what is, what is the minimum amount? Could you throw half a Batman in and keep the other half just in case? Okay, so let's talk about worms. Isn't it that, like their brain or something is in the middle of their body? Or they're like, like I don't think they really have a brain yeah, isn't their entire yeah, i didn't think so they're just a nerve like a long okay. little nerve yeah I, got inside me. I think mr mind is the only one that has a brain oh nice diet <laughs> um well i mean in that case i guess so maybe the rules are different for things that do have brains or like okay. where their central nervous system is attached to because there is some nervous system in a worm they have to have a so, nervous system so like more like a dollar bill where if you tear it and you have less than half, you have to have at least three of the corner numbers in order to redeem it. So, How do you have less than half and have three corner numbers? You tear it at an angle. Oh, you're right. Okay, never mind. I no. think that you're good. this <laughs> addresses that question in kind of a cool way. Like, you can, it doesn't, it's not about the physical components that it brings back. It reanimates the body and heals the body. But what this... I think attempts to explore is what, what happens with the soul, you know? And mm-hmm. so 
Bruce is, is a dead husk. It isn't about re exactly reviving the brain. The personhood still needs to be intact as well. So, Well, spoilers. All and I, I knew is that his hand was coming out to tickle me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tickle you. <laughs> and I call for a bat tickle. <laughs> bat daddy's going to tickle you. No daddy. No. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think we know what the deal with this bat husk is. And uh, we'll save that for next it. time because we've got a play date. It. Gotta play a date. Gotta bring you over to your friend's house. Yeah, and I and I love the fact that Dick is a Batman because right before he you know Bruce rises out of the Lazarus pit, Dick he's looking forward to seeing his brother again, having him back. But they know what's gonna happen, so he's putting on his electroshock bat nucks. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, they know what might happen. I think he's still optimistic. Right. Well, yeah, Just, but they know. That's a family I mean, greeting in this family. Like, oh, you're home from a long journey? Time to punch you in the face. Yeah. yeah. Well, they well, know well, that he's going to be batshit at least for a, for a little yeah. while, right? Yeah, that's, that's established that everybody, anybody who comes out of Lazarus Pit is crazy for a while. Okay. Bat zerkers, if you will. Oh. That's, what, that's why whenever Ray Sal Ghoul comes out of the pit, they've got all his men around ready to, like, fight him and try really and subdue him for a while. Someone get him some cold soup, quick. <laughs> it also makes sense as to why Roman acts the way that he does, given that his shower is tied to a Lazarus pit. So yep. every day he comes in fresh off a bottle of crazy juice, jacked up on meth and street or weapons grade heroin or whatever from earlier. You guys like comics? We're going to eat all these comics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. I mean, for this issue, I just, I really liked the change of tone in terms of the way the art looks and the series. Mm -hmm. Like, those issues four through six are really good, but they're real dirty. You know, like, we're dour. dealing with some, yeah, dour, like the dark implications of what Dick is going through and a horrible villain. And this is a little bit more fun. We get these you know club of heroes characters we're tying into a larger group we're in a different place damien's not around and he's a shit uh i it's 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 a good change of pace like an adventure book it feels kind of like tintin or something like it's yeah that's a great comparison yeah 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 jeff did you i mean the the three little coming next issue panels the bottom don't you love those especially the last one where crazy batman is just laughing maniacally yeah hey, this I, was Please, Justin. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was just gonna. This, this is like, and I don't know if you were Jeff. The, I love the three little preview things. These issues, particular, I was like trying to understand if there was a clue to really Bruce coming back. Yeah. These were driving me insane back. <laughs> um, hey, listen, I have, <clears throat> I have an email from a very special friend of the show, uh, oh. Andrew Fotz Carlson. Andrew, friend of the show, oh, friend of Carlson. the show. And he wrote this in just several days ago after our Batman and Robin number one. And we had taken the, the week off after doing the Final Crisis one. I mean, there were still podcasts every day, but um, hot damn. After a week of no Morrison Batman for the most part, this was quite Lee, the reintroduction. The art does have such a fresh new tone to it. And I love the introduction of these weird new animal villains of Mr. Toad and Professor Pig. Pig is so creepy. And I love how ominous his presence is with the Dolatrons. The widescreen shots of the Batmobile flying and doing all this new stuff was super amazing. My favorite part of the issue, however, is the setup with Damien Dick Alfred's relationship. Quote, I told you it would work. All I had to do was adapt my father's blueprints. Quote, if you're not up to it, stand aside, Dick Grayson. I was bred for the job and trained in the arts of war by the masters of my mother's League of Assassins. I could just as easily continue my father's work on my own. Just, and he cites a bunch of different quotes from that. But in each instance, Dick has the presence of mind and patience to refute Damien, make him question himself in a good way. It's never good to be, sh or to be sure of yourself, Damien. And move the conversation in a more positive direction, all while dealing with the pressures of taking over the Batmantle himself. It's so good to have a super team of Grant and Frank together. I feel like this issue had less jumps between panels that you guys have discussed happens in many Morrison books. Anyways, super excited for this next omnibus. Thanks for the wonderful work. Here, Love here, it. Andrew Fotz. Mm -hmm. that, that was nice. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. All of the listeners of this show seem to be nice so far. So if you yeah. want to write an email in as well, batmaninquarantine at gmail.com. The in is spelled out. Batman, I in, quarantine. I hope we spelled quarantine right. <laughs> um, just to go off Andrew really quick, it's fucking nice. Dick Grayson is an adult. He is an adult in this run. Like, you know, he's not just like a, a, a long teenager. 
he like he's, he's, he's a long someone someone tied that is maybe the biggest kid i've ever seen in my entire it's house. like a dachshund and a teenager joined yeah. it's like they you know tied I mean? a kid up and then put a bunch of weights on his feet and hung him over an ocean for a couple of days like in that power rangers turbo movie when they stretch that kid that kid, Power Rangers Turbo. That That's kid was too right. young to be a Power Ranger, Frank. That's Franklin. not right to stretch a kid like that. All I'm saying is, you remember when the girl jumped off the waterfall and became a Power Ranger midway through the water? That was great. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Dick Reason is an adult. Well, you're he's right. Like he's, he's like parenting. He's you know regulating his own emotions. He's rationalizing. He's letting the conversation be more about the kid than about him. You know, he's a real healthy, well-adjusted human being under that cow, not just a brute soldier that only knows how to destroy a mind and eat, you know, crime like it's a fucking virus. You know, he's 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 got the compassionate heart that I think there's a clear distinction in how uh, Dick Grayson operates as a human being and, you know, Bruce Wayne does. I think that's a really good <laughs> yeah. point. And it's very interesting that our own Django Bourne distributes, uh, it, it, it displays such a Dick Grayson fathering mentality while also having such a good bruce wayne i'm gonna fuck you up let's eat some fucking cheese it's and then go kill some motherfuckers well not right. kill, you know like Django, you are the perfect marriage of bruce and dick well i do like to be dick whenever i can i do know that yeah you're like bruce but with a big dick yeah, like stretched. Like, how do you how do you stretch like, a kid like like a really long? You take forty pounds per foot. You hang them by their hands, and you put forty pounds on each foot, and you just leave them until they're leave long. Them over an ocean. Don't forget to dress them like a Power Ranger first, though. You got to dress them up like a Power Ranger. If you're not feeding them peanut butter while you're doing it, you're doing it wrong. They need protein to grow. <laughs> So anyway, that was Batman in Quarantine, episode 32-33. Thank you, guys. Oh, my God. This is a group effort. I love it. Thank you so much um, because I'm going to fuck up those numbers. Django, do you have anything you need to send us out on? Well, I got a tomato I'm going to eat when we're done. Oh. From my garden. Oh, oh. Wow. It matches my wall. Yeah, I can't even see the tomato compared to your bloodbath you got behind you. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, if that's everything, I'm super that's glad that's that we, all all got. Got to, we all got to talk today. Listen, Jenga, we're going to have to get you back here sooner than later. Yeah, let I'm me know. Call you... the shot. You pick what episode you want, and we'll get oh, you Oh, heavens. All right. I'm in. I bet 10's good, but I can't really remember exactly what it is. Well, let's call it 10. I'll be all here right. for 10. Oh, I love it. Good. We got him on the docket. Um, Roman and Justin, thanks for being angels. What did you say, Justin? Oh, I need protein to grow. Oh, <laughs> get him some peanut butter, and fish. peanut butter <laughs> alright everybody well hey uh, thank you all for joining us send us an email we'll see you all in two days for our next episode uh, continuing this arc forward to see who pops out of that Lazarus pit on behalf of Django, Justin and Roman I am Jeff and we're Batman in Quarantine and we'll see you in just a couple of days oh shit I wasn't recording this whole time oh.